don't know. It, it's just a, a sideways, mm. possession, boring style of football. You know, I think boring is, is 10 years without a title. That's very boring. But yeah, it's just... Every day is the same. It's, it's Boy, is it boring? Yeah, really boring. I think you lack a bit creativity in the press at the moment and you follow a, a bandwagon that is uh, very, 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 very boring. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Left Back in the Studio, the podcast that talks about the boring of modern day football. And we've got a great, great episode lined up for you folks today. Starting off by introducing my co-host who joins me every week and it's my good friend Ben Cartwright. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastically well. I'm, I'm so happy to be back on the podcast. I think we've just had one of the most dull international breaks of all time and I'm I'm definitely one of those football fans that when the international break comes around I'm like, oh, do we have to? Can we just stick to the Premier League? So I'm I'm glad that we're back to normality this week. Exactly. And to be fair, I'd almost question the idea that there ever has been an exciting international break, particularly for qualifiers. I feel like qualifiers are the epitome of boredom when it comes to international football. So without further ado, let's kick off by having a look at a couple of those games. Starting off with perhaps a surprising nil-nil of the international week, Ben. And that started with Belarus against France. Of course, France were finalists in the Euro 2016 competition, hosted by them, of course, as well. So it should be a walk in a park, shouldn't it, Ben, against a team like Belarus? Why did this end up nil-nil? <laughs> I, well, if I had the answer to that, I'd be a, a millionaire, I think, um, working out why football games end nil-nil. The, the bread and butter of our podcast, I'm sure I've said before. Um, it's it's not a great one to draw. Obviously, France losing that final in, in quite strange circumstances against Portugal in the Euros, as we already talked about. Um, but this group isn't easy for France, where we'll talk about England in a, in a bit, I'm sure, but... They're also joined by Sweden and Netherlands in, in this qualifying mm. group. And then also Bulgaria, who are no pushover of a side, um, especially when you, as I say, when you consider the, the consummate ease that England should face in the coming qualifiers. So the fact that they've come into this qualifying campaign with a draw against a weak Belarus side, it it, it doesn't bode well for a very strong France team. Um it was actually, though, six years ago in the same fixture that Belarus beat France 1-0 at the Stade de France. So this one was in Belarus, but it could have gone worse for France than it did do six years ago. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's not a great start to their campaign. Yeah, it seems like one of those classic games which end up 0-0 when you've got sort of a David v Goliath-type contest because I'm looking at the shot counts here and it's 24 shots for France, nine of them on target, 10 off target, to Belarus's three shots on goal, none of them were on target. And you just look at the French team now that started when you've got the likes of Giroud, Griezmann, Martial, Sissoko, although I would still question whether the price tag of 30 million is really good value for someone like Sissoko, Pogba, you know, you've got all of these players here and they somehow couldn't score a goal against Belarus. It was it's quite, it's still quite an amazing feat for Belarus, even though they had beaten France, isn't it, Ben? So... Whilst perhaps we can look at it and say it was a boring game from one perspective, from another perspective, you can look at it from Belarus's side and say, look, got a nil-nil, point on the board, 
gives them some confidence for this qualifying campaign. Yeah, I think it's always important to remember when there is an underdog and they get this draw, they get they get a result against a, a team with far superior players on paper. There's no denying with without any disrespect to Belarus. But you've got to applaud their performance. If they're going to come against, well, the, the Euros finalists and get a nil-nil draw, then they've got to be ecstatic with that. They really do. Um, interestingly enough, Giroud, he features in our worst performance of the week, which we'll come to again in a bit. But he's actually scored 11 goals in 13 appearances for France. That's a goal every 80 minutes, um, which is which is an incredible stat, incredible feat, really, I'd, I'd argue. Um, but Giroud's an interesting player. I, I feel like a lot of people hate him. They think he's an awful finisher. I don't know where you stand on this, Kieran, but that stat, 11 goals in 13 games, that you can't make that up. Exactly. I think sometimes this is an example of where stats can distort perception on both sides here, because obviously it shows that Giroud is more of a prolific goal scorer than people give him credit for. On the other hand, it does also tell you that whilst he scores a lot of goals, it, he misses a lot as well. I think that's the issue. He misses a lot of good chances, which would make him a world-class striker if he could really hone in on that and then you know you'd be looking at an even better goal scoring record but I'm with you sometimes he doesn't get the credit he deserves right we'll move on from Belarus against France then and move on to another international game which we'll be focusing on and it wouldn't be an international weekend in which we talk about boring games if England weren't involved so of course we've chosen the game Slovakia versus England not just because we're English and of course that could be a biased way of looking at it but in truth Ben before we get in depth about the performance itself this was a boring game wasn't it I mean it ended 1-0 England because of a last minute Lalana goal but in truth ugh, it, it, it's one that I would love to forget to be honest it was it was quite similar to the I think England's performance against Slovakia in the Euros. It's it's vintage England, really. You, you you can't make it up. I was sitting there before the game, thinking, right, I'm ready again. I'm going to put my faith back into England. We've all gone through it several times, where our confidence in England is completely shot. We've we've well capitulated at the Euros, quite literally, with a defeat against Iceland, and we come against Slovakia with the new manager, new Big Sam. In charge. Everyone's excited. Everyone's sitting in their TV screens, thinking, "Right, this is it. He's gonna infor- he's gonna get these players doing what they what they can do and should be doing." But no, it's the same old, same old rubbish. Let's be honest. The word I'm going to use to describe the performance is tepid. And I've got the definition of tepid. It's it's moderately warm, lukewarm. That's that's when it's describing water, which I'm not going to be doing. But the other definition that I'll be looking at is is characterised by a lack of force or enthusiasm. Now, I don't know if that's describing the England performance or my feelings towards the England performance. But anyway, it, I just I think that word is perfect to describe how England play their football. There's no energy. There's no sort of want. And the best player on the pitch for me was Adam Lallana. And no disrespect for Adam Lallana. I think he gets a bit of a... A bad, he's got a bit of a bad reputation considering I think he's a, a talented player but if Adam Lallana is our best player what does that say about England like come on Where, where's the talent we're a, we're a football inside have been for years and Adam Lallana is our best performer against Slovakia I, just, I, w- I was I was very annoyed afterwards I I'm struggling to sort of get the energy to go back and continue watching the qualifiers if I'm honest Kieran 
<laughs> yeah, because this is supposed to be the highlight fixture or the or, or the, the the big one that everyone talks about as saying this is the toughest game for England. Yes, we got the three points in the end, and I guess that's the important thing in this qualifying group. But it was just a rubbish performance. But should we really be surprised by this, Ben? And I wanted to ask you this question because I sort of want to determine what is the root reason for why England played so boring. Is it because this is the archetypal big Sam approach, so to speak, you know, sort of long football, you know, just kind of punt the ball up to the striker and, and play very solidly at the back and don't give anything away? Or is this just the way in which England play now? Because I feel like for a number of qualifying games that we've seen England partaking, they've just been utterly dull and comprehensive at the same time. You expect England to go through because they're playing rubbish opposition, with all due respect. So what would you say is this main reason, Ben, for why England play like they do? Is it just the, the, the kind of style of play that the players are used to playing? Or is it because of Big Sam's new managerial philosophy? I think there's a number of reasons. Um, on the managerial philosophy, I'm not sure what Big Sam is planning to do. If, if he's going for his, the sort of cliche Big Sam style of football where we pump it up to the big man up top he knocks it down for a, for a Jamie Vardy to run onto I'd say fair play get that involved that's better than what we see at the moment because it's been the same for years with Roy Hodgson and now with this game against Slovakia it's just boring possession football keeping the ball at, on the back line while the other while the team we're playing against just defends 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 and we find no way of getting through their defence there must be a way of an England coach with years of experience. Both Allardyce and Hodgson have got years of experience. They should know how to beat a team that is, is set up to defend. I, I, I can't comprehend how so many, so many top teams struggle so much against a team that can defend. It's incredible. Where, where is the creativity? Where is it? That's the problem. There's so many problems with this England time. But I just think the cutting edge, that quick, quick one-touch passing... Getting past a defender. We don't do that. You never see it, except for, as I mentioned earlier, Lalana. There was a couple of times where he can turn a man, make a quick ball. But other than that, I, I struggle to see it. And unless that changes sharpish, then we'll be struggling. Yeah. And so I've got, I've got a final question to ask, Ben, in relation to that. We're talking about the style of play that the Big Sam's kind of reintroduced, I guess. The, the team itself, the the 23-man squad that was picked. Um, obviously, in the game, at midfield, I think, was one of the key issues for Big Sam. And then he played Dyer, Henderson, Rooney. And it didn't really offer that much creativity. So a couple of names came up that people questioned Sam on, on, on not picking. Two of those were, of course, Ross Barkley and Marcus Rashford. Do you think, in hindsight, that it was a bad decision to not include them in the squad or perhaps even start some of those players? I don't think dropping Rashford to the under-21s is a bad idea. He's At the moment, he's not playing for Manchester United. That might change after a wonderful performance for the under-21s in the midweek. Um, but I don't think that's... that That's something that I can forgive. I understand that he's a young, he's a young man. And he's still on the road to sort of becoming the player that he can be. He's still in development. Um, so putting him in the under-21s is completely fair enough, fair enough to me. I, I can understand that. But Ross Barkley is one I do not understand at all. 
Um, it turns out that the man I'd swap him out for would be probably Theo Walcott. Um, I know Theo Walcott is a winger, but I think we've got a better option, a more informed option in Mikhail Antonio. I think a, a braver manager might have gone for him instead of Walcott. Um, but Ross Barkley, is, he's been in great form at the start of the season. He is one of those players that I was talking about that can change a game. He's he's quick, he likes to run at a man, he can pick out a pass, he can he can score goals. Um, and he's the perfect op- perfect option for England, I'd, I'd argue, off the bench. Um, he's not gonna. He's probably not gonna start. I'd say Deli Ali should have start started. That's the mistake I think in the starting eleven when he came on. He did make something happen, but yeah, it's just. I mean, we could talk about it all day, but it is just boring. And and the fact that it's boring and bad football means that we have to we have to talk about it on the podcast. I know, and it's a shame because it was such an exciting prospect bringing someone like Antonio in. It was a huge moment for his career to be called up for England, and then. He didn't even get picked in the end, so it was more of a token, mm. uh, you know, ch- choice, I guess, from Big Sam to give him the call up rather than actually uh, any anything of meaning or anything tangible to show for it. Let's move on from that though and talk about a regular feature we have on this show, which is the worst performance of the week. And I think it's quite a good interlude that we continue with the England game because clearly there is one of the, those candidates in that Slovakia England game that stood out as having a particularly bad performance of the week. Um, so just before we talk about this person in depth, we'll just list the candidates that we've got for this week that we put up on our Twitter poll, and you can follow us at LB in the studio. That's our Twitter handle. And the candidates are the following. Roberto Martinez, of course, being recently appointed the new manager of Belgium. Olivier Giroud. Granit Xhaka for Switzerland. And... The one that we're about to talk about now, Ben, Martin Skirtle for Slovakia. So, first of all, Ben, looking at those particular names, which one stood out for you as having a particularly bad performance of the week before we get the view of the public who voted on our poll? Well, for me, I'd, I would have said Roberto Martinez. Obviously, he's come into the Belgium side with Thierry Henry at his side. Um, this, is a, this is a big... A big appointment. Obviously, he struggled at Everton a bit. He would have wanted to get his managerial career on the international stage um, off to a off to a flying start. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. Came up against a, a strong Spain team. There's no denying Spain. Obviously, still a, a force to be reckoned with um, in European football. But they they lost lost the game two 0 with only one shot on target. That came from Kevin De Bruyne, um, and and it ended up with the fans booing him off the pitch, which is. I'm 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 gonna guess not the way he hoped that his managerial career career would have started um, with Belgium, so yeah, I I would have picked out Roberto Martinez. Yeah, he did have a particularly bad start on that front. I don't understand really why he was appointed in the first place. If I'm being completely honest, a failed manager in a Premier League last season, and I'm saying based on the objectives that Everton would have had for that season. Finishing in the bottom half is not really acceptable for a club like Everton stature. He's been sacked and then he's been given the Belgian job, which is a job that many a manager, you know, many great managers or young young and up and coming managers would love to have the opportunity to manage Belgium. And and they gave it to somebody who got fired for a really rubbish job the season before. It baffles me. Um, And his start to his tenure was... 
pretty shambolic, I have to say. Having one shot on goal, when you look at the players that Belgium have, you know, Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne, yeah, I think he started with Origi, but you've still got the likes of Lukaku. Um, and I just don't understand how you could only have one shot on goal against, uh, yes, a good Spain team, but they hardly had an amazing, amazing Euros. They got they got knocked out by a good Italy side. Um, but I, it just baffled me. So Roberto Martinez was certainly up there. But for me personally, Ben, it's got to be Martin Skirtle. I think he had an absolute shocker of a game. And again, we've had another issue with this whole uh, being sent off in a game and costing your team a result. Because he has. There's no doubt about it. Um, okay, we scored in the last minute, i.e. England did, but had they had 11 men on the pitch, could somebody have been in a position where Lalana was in the box and been able to stop it? I know it's all a lot of conjecture, but the point is, you'd think that Slovakia would have been able to defend a lot easier. And I don't know about you, Ben, but just the fouls that he committed, some of them were awful. And I think perhaps it shows as much as anything that I think the referee had as bad a performance as Skirtle because he should have been sent off way before that tackle that he committed on Harry Kane, gave him the second yellow, which I thought should have been a red card on its own. Yeah, it's inc- it's, it's it's incredible. Um, incredible behaviour from Martin Skirtle. So a player of, of his experience, he's played for a number of years in the Premier League, so he's used to the players he's up against. These are exactly It's exactly the type of game that he would have he would have played in for years. But he's given away silly yellow card and then a stupid stamp. Why, why on yeah. earth in that position are you going to stamp on someone's ankle? You're letting down not only your, your teammates, but your country in that situation. Like This is important for Slovakia. And that, that what, who knows, that point that they they dropped, they could have had a point out of this game. The point that they dropped, that might cost them in the long run. It's it's incredible. And I'm, well, he'll be, I'm guessing, missing at least one game for Slovakia. I'm not sure how it works on the international sort of banning after a sending off um but yeah it's it's just it shows a naivety but i don't understand how he can be naive if if you're going to stamp on someone right in front of the referee like that very odd very odd indeed but i guess also skirtle-esque many liverpool fans would probably tell Mm. you and we'll swiftly talk about the the next two candidates i'll just run down what what they've done this week that to given them the great accolade of being on our worst performance of the week list so we've got Olivier Giroud we said well I I thought that he should have been there because he missed an absolute sitter in the Belarus game which again cost his side points and we talked he talked about the stat earlier he scored 11 goals in 13 appearances which is a great stat and it shows that he is a good striker but these are the examples of 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 Giroud at his worst when he infuriates fans it's a well-timed run great through ball by Griezmann and he misses the target. I think that's just classic Giroud right there. And then the other candidate we've got is Granit Xhaka. I know it's looking like an Arsenal list, but I, there is reason for putting two Arsenal players there. And perhaps that doesn't bode well for my team's season if they're going to keep on doing things like this. But Granit Xhaka, he earned his sixth red card in 78 appearances for his country when they played Portugal which was actually a good result for Switzerland, I'd say, Ben. They won 2-0 against the champions of uh, the European Championships 2016. So a great result. He's got his needless second booking in the 92nd minute. Why? Why do that? Your team's holding on. You've got a two-goal lead. Just just 
don't do anything stupid, surely is what the manager should say. And then you're not going to miss the next game. Because that's the bigger thing for me. That's why I think that's important, is that he's now going to miss the next game. And it's going to make life doubly difficult for Switzerland because they've got to find somebody now to replace him. You could all, you can almost understand it if they were losing 1-0 and obviously it was de- they were, maybe Portugal were on the break or like an opportunity to score. But in, in that in that instance, in that moment in the game, it just yeah, it's just a, a silly challenge from Xhaka. Um, and yeah, it misses the next game, and and again, it's, it, I'm guessing it's going to be a difficult group. There's only one, there's only one team from each qualifying group definitely getting into the World Cup. So, in a group with with Portugal, Switzerland, I'm not sure who else is in is in that group, but they need every point and every player they can they can get. Um, so yeah, it's a, another silly one in an important game. Yeah, it is rather silly, but oh well, we'll have to see how it all pans out for Switzerland. Um, but nevertheless, a good start for them. So before we go on to the next section, Ben, do you just want to reveal the results of the public poll that we put on Twitter? What did our listeners think, or who did they think, I should say, had the worst performance of the world? Well, the winner of of the poll um, agreed with you, Kieran, said Martin Skirt with 43% of the vote, and then Giroud and Martinez both with 21%, um, so coming in joint second place in that one. Granite Xhaka bringing up the rear. Obviously, people are getting used to the fact that he likes to get sent off every other week. Yeah, exactly. So let's move on to our next discussion topic, which is our regular feature of debate of the week. And this is one that was chosen by you, Ben, because we're going to be talking about sponsorships in football and their impact. And you've got a little story that involves Zenit St. Petersburg that you want to enlighten listeners about. So take it away. Well, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have already heard about this one, but um, it's just a, it's just hilarious. The fact that Burger King have come in and tried to buy the rights to Zenit St. Petersburg's name. Obviously, um, a very famous club from Russia in the Champions League for the last few years. Um, and yeah, they wanted to be called Zenit Burger King. Um, which is just, it's laughable, it really is, you're laughing there. Um, had some interaction from our Twitter. Um, David Cowlishaw said that they should be called Zenit St. Petersburger. That's all he, that's all he <laughs> wanted to add to the debate. Um, another, well, this, that's just one example of sponsorship that's obviously come up in, in this week's um, press. But another one is, of course, the, the, the constant, well, it's becoming a norm now that stadiums are getting called Things like the Bet Three Six Five Stadium, the the Emirates, um, mm. getting called. Well, companies coming in buying the rights to the stadium name, and then that's the, what the stadium's name is, which I just think is a great shame. Um, specifically for the Arsenal example with Emirates, I mean, obviously the old Arsenal ground, Highbury, very famous ground with much tradition, and obviously Highbury rhymes with library. Emirates doesn't rhyme with library, so we can't use that that chant anymore unfortunately which is a great shame another interesting sponsorship was from a from a few years ago now that i picked up on again um nicholas bentner who has again been in the news this week when he got fined for wearing paddy power boxer shorts i don't know if you remember that one but that one was was weird because obviously he was wearing boxer shorts had paddy power on them but also that he got fined i think he got fined eighty thousand euros off the top of my head um, which was more than whole countries were getting fined for being for having racist fans, which was weird. Um, and then the final the final story I just wanted to bring up before we have a bit of a chat about it. I don't know if you saw this, Kieran, but this is probably one of the more interesting stories from the last couple of weeks that didn't really get the press I thought it deserved. But Mets, 
um, the the club in Liga um, are being sponsored by the fourth poorest country in the world. They're being sponsored by Chad, um, not not an American guy. This is the the entire country. We have seen that before. I think Atletico Madrid a couple of years ago was sponsored by Azerbaijan, the land of fire. Um, but yeah, Chad, the fourth poorest country in the world, apparently wants want people to come and want to boost tourism in their country, which is interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll be very interested to see if they pull it off. But yeah, sponsorships are just taking over football, aren't they? And I'm, I'm not really sure how I feel about it, Kieran. It's a shame, really, because football now has just become a heathen ground for businesses, you know. And because football brings in so much money because of how much money is splashed around particularly top level football it's it, it, it's just becoming appetizing for these big businesses to want to take over these particular rights particularly these types of sponsorships as you say looking at stadium examples in the past when mike ashley called the uh, st james's park stadium sports direct stadium which caused uproar amongst fans you then obviously had the attempts of the whole city owner to change the name of the club to Whole Tigers. And it's a shame, really, because it's these business owners don't realise that football is embedded in tradition. And people, fans, go to support a football team and they don't like it when things like this change. But it's always a difficult one, Ben, because if you think about it, a lot of clubs as well need the money so when burger king are offering the likes of 500 million ruples i think it was to a club like st peter's senate st petersburg and saying look we'll buy your rights but look at all this money that you're going to get for something like senate st petersburg they're a big enough club in russia to be able to turn it down but there are other clubs if that was a different club in the russian league for example it doesn't earn that much money they may say well it's frustrating, we'll have to change the name, but look at all the money we're going to get in and it means we can get better players, we can then improve our league stature and in the long term it will just be better financially and for the club. It's a tough one. Where do you sit on this, Ben, very briefly? Well, it's, it's, um, it's uh, interesting. We are seeing the, the growing number of clubs with well sponsored by businesses and getting the business name in, in their name. Obviously, RB... Um, oh, goodness, I've completely forgotten their name. Leipzig, sorry, I'll just delete that bit out. RB Leipzig in in the German league. Obviously, they are sponsored by Red Bull. Um, they were bought out by Red Bull, I think, in the fourth tier of German football, or something like that. And now they're in the Bundesliga. A lot of people think the RB stands for Red Bull, which it doesn't. But their prominence, their rise to prominence, has come from the fact that Red Bull have just pumped money into the club. And the same with Bayer Leverkusen, who is sponsored by the pharmaceutical company Bayer. Um, and Red Bull are looking into buying a club in England, which I think will just the response to that would just be complete uproar. So I think a lot of people are in the same same boat really. But the fact of the matter is, without these sponsorship deals, then would would football be the same? Would would we be seeing a lot more clubs going under because you need that money, and the money isn't coming from other sources at the moment. Um, so it is it is annoying perhaps to have club clubs sponsored by businesses so heavily but it's it's part and parcel of the game now um unfortunately um we had a couple more responses on twitter that i'll just go through um tom thrower has said i think stoke have been sharp in their advertising deals that's in response to sharp sponsoring one of the stands 
at the Bet365 Stadium. So honestly, all the responses we got were just jokes. Um, you've got time for one more quickly. Matt Hackey says, Always enjoyed playing as Sounders FC, sponsored by Xbox on the PS3. Um, <laughs> bit of poetry in there and yeah. So apparently enjoys playing as Sounders FC. So thanks for getting involved. You can do that every week at LB in the studio. Absolutely. And then the briefly final debate that we have for this week, Ben, revolves around free transfers. So again, I'll let you explain to listeners what this debate's all about. Well, it's, it's, it's probably not as much of a debate. Just, just It's just funny. The players that have come in on, on free transfers after the transfer window closed, obviously. I mean, one that went through on transfer deadline day was Hal robson Carnu to West Brom, which is just ludicrous in my opinion. He scored one all right goal at the Euros. It's, gone, it's got completely blown out of proportion. This is not that good a goal. It was all right. He, he did a good Cruyff turn. Congratulations. Defenders probably should have done better. Puts it away. Now he's playing for West Brom. Don't know how that works. And the, the funny thing about that as well, that Pulis has come out and said that the five players he obviously signed on um, for West Brom, none of them were the marquee signings that he wanted. So how Robson Carnu's come into West Brom thinking, oh yeah, I'm top of the world, got my Premier League signing. Pulis come out and said he's not good enough, basically, which I just find hilarious. We've mentioned it before in the podcast, Bentner, he's back in the back in the Football League, not in the Premiership, he didn't get the Premiership move, but he's he's back with Nottingham Forest, signed a two-year deal. So I think a lot of people will be keeping an eye on that one. Obviously, self-proclaimed best striker in the universe, so he should be scoring goals at that level. Um, and yeah, another one, Flamini joining Crystal Palace, obviously one that you know quite well as an Arsenal fan, Kieran, but also confirms that Crystal Palace will be nowhere near the Fair Play Award at the end of the season due to the <laughs> tremendous amount of yellow cards that Flamini will be picking up over the course of the season. Another funny thing that has, has dropped out of Crystal Palace, Remy, Loic Remy obviously signed him um, mm. on loan, I believe, yeah, on loan from Chelsea. Um, he's injured for eight weeks now, so unlucky Crystal Palace fans. Um, yeah, we could, we could have put Alan Pardew on that list, couldn't we, of worst performances of the week? It's a shame we missed out on that. I'm sure... I'm, <laughs> the Lloyd Remy story came too yeah, late. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he'll pop up at some point during the season. Um, but yeah, there's there's just numerous free transfers. Obviously, clubs are now desperate to, to make signings. Um, and we'll see how it plays off um, for the clubs. It'll be interesting. But specifically, Bedner. I'll be, I'll, I'm very interested to see how how he performs because it got it got a lot of laughs the fact that he signed for Nottingham Forest but I, th- I think it shows a certain level of humility from him to be able to step down to the lower level and, and, and see what he's got so yeah keep an eye on Nicholas Bentner this year Kieran Oh humility Nicholas Bentner I never thought I'd hear those two <laughs> words in the same sentence together but there you go Nicholas Bentner joined Nottingham Forest let's move on then to our final segment of the show Ben and it's our regular feature social media funny stories that we have picked up from the week and i think i'll kick off this time um i've got i've got one big one but i've got a small one which i would have put in last week but sadly we couldn't do the show last week um and it involves yan and vila now yan and vila i as an arsenal fan I can recall that every single transfer window from about 2010 to 2014, this man was rumoured to join Arsenal in those in those windows. He didn't in the end, and um, I think he then joined. Do you know who he joined after instead? Was it? It was Sunderland, yeah. wasn't it? It was Sunderland. 
But anyway, there's a funny story that um, <laughs> that came up on his official social media when it said Yann uh, and Vila on Instagram after a move to Sunderland on hashtag deadline day fell through. So he went somewhere else and now he's come back to Sunderland. I called Sunderland, back, but they are not picking up the phone. Why? My heart was broken. Um, <laughs> just two funny things there. Yann and Vila looking initially to go to a Champions League club and then the, a club of Sunderland stature are rejecting him. Hilarious. It's not not quite as hilarious as the Odin Wingy to QPR transfer deadline day story, but it's it's up there. But my big story I've got is of course revolving around that man, Lord Bentner, who has returned to English football as he's now playing for Nottingham Forest, as you said then. And the funny thing that I saw was a was a little meme that's been going around. And it, I don't know if you knew this, Ben, but in two weeks' time, you couldn't believe you couldn't write this script. But Nottingham Forest are playing Arsenal <laughs> in the third round of the Capital One Cup. So, of course, Nicholas Bentner's former club, and it says in this little tweet here, Lord Bentner has a f- so from Football Funnies. This is Lord Bentner has officially signed for Forest. They play each other in the Capital One Cup in two weeks. R.I.P. Arsenal, and it's just got a picture of Bentner with a happy face inside the Nottingham Forest Stadium. I, I think it's pretty funny, but I'm I'm really eager to hear to see how that all plays out. You know, what well, as an Arsenal fan, I really hope that he doesn't score against us. But I can just I can see the headlines go now if Nottingham Forest beat us, and it's a Nicholas Bentner header or something that wins them the game. But anyway, that's my stories for the week, Ben. What about yourself? Mine's not much of a funny story, so it might be a bit of a depressing end to the to the podcast. Um, oh, you should have said I would have done mine last. But it's not that bad. <laughs> it's just about Brazilian football, and it's it's something that I saw um, just before, literally just before the podcast started recording. And it's of Lucas Lima, who who is playing a game in the Brazilian league against Internacional, who are one of the biggest teams in Brazil, and he he got sent off for time wasting. Um, so he got two yellow cards, both for time wasting, in in the first half. He got sent off before the half t- before half time for time wasting, which is incredible. Um, <laughs> and looking at the clip, I can share it on the left back at the studio um, Twitter after the podcast. But he's not time wasting at all. It's incredible. So, I mean, that just leads you on to thinking, oh, is is this some kind of fix? Um, and it turns out, international, as I mentioned, are one of the biggest clubs in the country, and one of five clubs that never that never been relegated um, from the Brazilian top flight. Um, they're doing it extremely badly this season. They haven't won a game um, for f- for fifteen matches. They hadn't won a game, um, and now they've get the team they're playing against is getting a man sent off for time wasting in the first half, um, and they won the game after 90 minutes and now they're out of the relegation zone so it just it stinks of of con, of of con, um, corruption and controversy doesn't it Kieran which is it's a shame but it's just weird the, the man got sent off for time wasting in before half time i can't believe it i know that <laughs> that is quite incredible that is time wasting just gone mad to be honest um you know that's that's something i could imagine someone like Jose Mourinho attempting to do <laughs> but with better success than getting somebody sent yeah. off in the first half. There you go. That's an absolute shocker. Great story, though. And it wasn't as depressing as you made it out <laughs> to be. So that's an acceptable one to end on. With that, though, we're going to have to bring this podcast to an end now. And it's been a great show, as always. Ben, how do listeners 
get in touch with us if they want to outside of just listening to the podcast well obviously if you if you're here um you're, if, if you're this far in then thank you very much thank you for listening let us know what you thought which you can do at lb in the studio obviously you can subscribe on itunes just searching left back in this if back in the studio if you haven't done that already or you're listening on soundcloud either way listen any way you want um but yeah get in touch on twitter we'd we'd love to hear from you brilliant stuff so thank you everybody for listening in we'll be back at the same time next week for some premier league action this time so do stay tuned and thank you ben for coming on as always and that will be that let's hope we have well more and less of the same in terms of boring football this weekend <laughs>